our study this morning is in Genesis chapter 16. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the first book. Genesis chapter 16. I have never preached this passage before, um, and it seemed as I worked on it a bit unorthodox for Mother's Day, but there's so much here that we can learn from this text. Every text we study, there's something to learn, right? But, but this text really was a wealth of information. I was thinking this week about some of the godly, faithful women and moms in the Bible, women like Noah's wife, who we never talk about, right? Noah's wife, put up for 120 years, building that ark and watching her sons be part of that and faithfully getting on the ark. Noah's wife, or Jochebed, Moses' mom, or Hannah, Samuel's mom, or Manoah's wife, or Mary, or Eunice, who was Timothy's mom. All these women are, are lauded in the Bible, and we've studied some of them before, but we have never studied, at least at Harbor Rock, the mom in Genesis chapter 16. It's a woman named Hagar. Now, Hagar did not have an ideal situation for which to be a mother. In fact, she didn't even plan to be a mother at this stage of her life. And the circumstances under which she had uh, her son were, were far less than perfect. She was forced to get pregnant, really, uh, because she was a slave, because the woman who was her, uh, her master, the woman who was over her, uh, was Abraham's wife, Sarai. And Sarai, in her lack of faith, um, superseded the plan of God. We'll talk about that this morning. And she uh, compelled Hagar to have a child with her husband, Abram. And to make matters worse, to, to compound what was already a bad problem, uh, when Hagar followed Sarai's orders, it didn't solve the problem. It actually created more tension, not only between the two women, but there was a long-lasting effect. Uh, the the uh, eternal conflict, or at least uh, for this time being, the historical conflict that is the center of every tension in the Middle East this morning. Everything that's going on between Israel and all the other countries that oppose it, Syria and Iran and Iraq and uh, Saudi Arabia is more of an ally, but, but all this tension that we see in the Middle East that dominates everything, and you'll see it ramped up this week because the U.S. Embassy is going to move to Jerusalem, which is historic and biblical, but um, you're going to see tension in the Middle East this week. All of that traces back to Genesis 16. If you ever want to know that the Bible's true, if you ever want to have it validated because there's some question in your mind that this is something other than just some document made up by a bunch of people, the, the historicity of this passage traces all the way to 2018, and it will continue to trace all the way through the tribulation until Jesus finally puts his foot down and says, enough. So everything we see here has an impact on today. That's why the Bible is such an incredible document. All right? So, Hagar's son, who's going to be born, his name is going to be Ishmael, he's going to be an outcast from the start. And because of Sarai's decision, there's going to be this conflict and this resentment that is a result of Sarai's disobedience and a result of her stepping outside of the will of God. And that's going to put two important groups of people at war. And we'll develop that this morning. But 
Um, look at Genesis chapter 16. Let's see where it all started in verse 1. Take some notes this morning just so you interact with the text. Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, later she's going to be Sarah and he's going to be Abraham, but we'll use their names for now. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid, notice the adjectives, notice the details, an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, that Sarai, was despised in her sight. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. Thank you for that. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and Hagar fled from her presence. Now from the outset, we see that Hagar is thrown into a situation that is supremely unfair. And it is clearly not of the Lord. And the foundation for everything that's taking place here, if you drop back probably one page in your Bible, if you look at chapter 12, this is where God made the unconditional eternal covenant with Abraham, where he said... Um, there's going to be three parts to this. The first part of the covenant is that you'll became the, become the father of a great nation. That nation would later be known as Israel. God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob became Israel. So this is the start. This is where God says, I'm going to establish a nation. Abraham, you're going to be the father of the nation, and you're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky and the sands of the ocean. Second part of the covenant is that I am going to give you a specific land. I'm going to give you boundaries for your nation. And we've studied that before we looked at the map on the screen. I'm going to give you this, this land of the covenant, and that'll be your land. All the struggle this morning over Israel, a tiny little nation the size of New Jersey, that on any map would be just a, 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 little, a little dot, a little period. Everything in the world this morning centers on Israel. So this nation that I'm going to give you, this land I'm going to give you, that's yours eternally. And the third part of it is I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be your God. Specifically, you're going to be my nation. I'm going to interact with you. The whole of the Old Testament is about God's interactions with Israel. The whole of the New Testament is how Israel rejected Jesus. And God goes to the Gentiles and says salvation's for everybody. So it all traces back to Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord assures Abram in, verse, in chapter 15, throughout the whole of the chapter, he says, this will happen. Even though you and Sarai haven't been able to have any children, but I promise you, my vow, my covenant with you, is that your descendants will be so numerous you can't even count them. And in that entire chapter, chapter 15, you don't have to read it, but just skim it, there, there's not one word from the Lord that someone other than Sarai will be the mom. 
There's no indication that there's going to be another person. Everything points to Sarai as the child, uh, as the mother of the child of the promise. In fact, the fact uh, that this is going to happen miraculously, the fact that it's going to be something that, that they had not been able to do themselves, shows the hand of God. And that unmistakably points to Sarai as being the mom because now she's going to be the proof of God's mercy and God's faithfulness. So everything seems fine. The problem is that Sarai had trouble believing God at his word. And even though God, between chapter 12 and chapter 18, gives five specific confirmations that she and Abram are going to be the parents, that they're going to have a son, two of them are prior to chapter 16, Sarai, when the angels visit in chapter 18 to say it's about to happen, Sarai sits in her tent and she laughs at the word of God. You know, lack of faith is such a, is such a disappointment to the Lord. Because it's so illogical. Faith is a struggle for us as humans because it's the evidence of things not seen. It's, it's believing in what you can't necessarily be tangibly hold. And because we're tangible, visible people, especially in the age of information, we, we want to hold it. We want to see it. We want to have it in our hands. And God says that's not the way it works. Faith is believing what you can't see, what you can't hold, what you can't control. But it's the most logical thing that we can do. Because God proves himself Lord over and over. He gives us his word. He proves himself sufficiency. So when we refuse to believe his word, when we refuse to trust in his sufficiency, how could that possibly please him? And we try to rationalize, well, my way's better, and, and I'm smarter, and God doesn't really have the right plan, especially when something seems so outlandish, and something seems so far-fetched, and we can't touch it. But, but how many know that it's so vital to take him at his word? To trust him and depend on him and to rely on what he says and what he promises without any hesitation, without any equivocation, without any doubt. See, Sarai only looked at her past failure, and she only looked at her present obstacles, and she only looked at the, the seeming impossibilities of the future, and she hears the word of the Lord, and she knows that it's the word of the Lord, but she decides that it would be more comfortable, more easy to trust in her plan than to trust in the plan of God. Whenever we get to that place, we get in very dangerous territory. And because this is the tack that Sarah is taking, look back at verse 2. She makes a horrible, horrible decision that is outside the will of the Lord. She decides that the only way for the covenant of God to be fulfilled is for her to take control of it. Now that's incompatible. That doesn't work. That's not the way God functions. But so often I've found in my own life, and maybe you found it in your life, that, that that's what we do. We hear God's word. We study God's word. We know God wants to lead us. We know his spirit is working. But, but we get to the crucible. We get to the crux of the problem. We can't see what's going to happen. We get nervous. We get scared. And we jump ahead and we take it by the, the, the horns and we say, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it right. And God says, that's not how it goes. Now notice what she does. She goes to Abram and she tries to explain her plan to contradict the Lord. And for some reason, Abram goes along with it. 
Maybe he saw the desperation in her face. Maybe he was tired of, of the years of tears and sadness. Maybe Abram's faith at this point just wasn't strong enough. We don't know. But either way, he goes along with it. And the plan that Sarai comes up with is, is you go to my maid. You go to my bondservant and you have the child with her. Because notice how she says it. The Lord has prevented me, verse 2, from bearing children. Notice who's getting the blame. The Lord's prevented me. There's a little edge underneath that. It's God's fault. Abram, I know what God told you. I know that covenant. You're going to be the father of a great nation. And I believe that. I do. She doesn't really. But, but I do. I believe it. But God's prevented me from being the vehicle. Just because I can't see it. Because it's been years where, where it's not happened. Therefore, I'm giving up hope. The word of the Lord must have a time frame. It doesn't involve me, so I'm going to give up. God's prevented me. Go to Hagar. And notice the detail that the Holy Spirit gives. He gives it twice. One in verse 1 and one in verse 3. Hagar is an Egyptian. Which automatically tells us this is a bad decision. Because God had said... I've separated the nations of Babel. I want them to be separate. And there's a danger, God's people, with aligning with people who are not loving me. He showed that at Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. And he says, I'm creating a new nation, and this is going to be my nation. And Sarai's plan is to go to an Egyptian. Now, that one detail, just that detail, tells you that this is displeasing to the Lord. But the real problem that underlies all of this is, Hagar, is, is Sarah's uh, lack of obedience, her lack of trust, her lack of reliance on the Lord. So she goes to Hagar and says, you're going to be Abram's wife. You're going to have a, a child and in doing that, she puts Hagar in an awful situation. Because Hagar is a slave. She can't say no to this. Now, think about her perspective. Think about what she's having to deal with. I had never really thought about it before this week. She has to go along with something that's morally twisted, that really is, is not right in every way. It's spiritually corrupt. It's personally offensive, but she doesn't have a choice. And, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we don't really have the latitude to fight back against what is wrong and misguided. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know if I did, probably everybody would say, oh, yeah, I've been in that situation. A job, oh, man, I got, I got hammered. It was so wrong. A family situation where I was misunderstood and, and it got way out of hand and it just divided us. Or, or a church I was in that, that split because everybody was polarized. I mean, we've all been in those situations. How do we react in those situations? When there's injustice and when there is personal cost and when there's physical, emotional, and spiritual penalty to it, how do we respond? And how does it impact us spiritually? Because if we get into those situations and we come out bitter and angry like Sarai was, angry with God, well, it's God's fault. God could have prevented that. Why did he allow me to go through the situations? That's where we start to make very bad decisions. We have to recognize what's happening. And we have to know in advance how we're going to respond so we can stay faithful to the Lord because the enemy has a plan to damage us. And the enemy always starts by inciting us to blame the Lord. 
You will know it is not of the Lord if in your mind you're hearing it's the Lord's fault. God's never wrong. He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. So his will, his plan, his leading, hear this this morning, is never wrong. Our perspective skewed. We may think it doesn't make sense. We may think it, that God has made a mistake this time, but God is never wrong. But here's what the enemy says to us. I, I, I thought the Lord said he was faithful. I thought he said he would protect you from harm and that he'll come near to the brokenhearted and that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And, and I thought the Lord was holy and just and he'll get revenge for his people, but... I don't know. It sure seems like he's nowhere to be found. Doesn't seem to be answering your prayers right now, does he? Doesn't seem to be protecting you or, or, or preventing injustice from happening. That, that was completely unfair what happened to you. Where was God in that? I don't think this is going to end well for you. And you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't allow you to go through this nastiness. So it seems to me that you shouldn't trust him. Now, now you, you should solve this yourself. And frankly, you should be upset that God's not helping you. Ever heard those words before? Oh, man, I've heard those words. Middle of the day, middle of the night, doesn't matter. And by manipulating the word of God and sounding like he's telling the truth, the enemy creates feelings of doubt and dissension against the Lord. And he'll even go so far. He's audacious enough. To admit that the Lord has said. And promised those things. But his whole plan is to undermine. And incite doubt. That the Lord's not telling the truth. That God's word. And God's promises. Are not faithful. Because you're emotionally wounded. And because you can't understand. With a full perspective. Why the Lord's allowing what you're experiencing. And that has to be wrong. So we become uncertain and we become frustrated and we become impatient and hesitant to keep trusting, which if you look at verse 2, is exactly where Sarai is. Now what's interesting about this is Hagar, let's focus on her now, she had to know about the covenant of chapter 12. As Sarai's personal assistant, she had heard that the Lord had told Abram and Sarah about this covenant, that he was going to give them a son, that he was going to be a great nation. She had certainly seen the initial excitement on Sarai when that word came down, and, oh, I'm going to have a baby. This is going to be incredible, and this is going to be awesome. And then she watched the slow emotional decline over the years as the years passed, and there was no pregnancy, and Sarai became more despondent and more depressed and more hopeless to the point where she comes up with this misguided plan. Hagar is a witness to all of it. She watches it happen. And if she had any spiritual discernment, she would have known, at least through the influence of, of Abram and Sarah as they honored the Lord and followed his plan, she would have known that Sarai was losing confidence in the Lord and that she was becoming bitter and weak in her faith. Now, let me give you a very valuable, I believe, spiritual principle here that comes out of that understanding. It is very important for us that we are constantly discerning 
the spiritual temperature of the people around us. It is very important that we're constantly discerning the spiritual temperature of the people around us and the climate of our circumstances. In other words, to be aware of what is around us and the voices we're hearing and what people are saying. Now, that'll help us in four different ways. One is it'll help us to pray for the Spirit to give us wisdom and to protect us. Because I don't know about you, but I need the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and discernment every single day. The second thing it'll do is if we're gauging spiritual temperature, it will cause us to be on guard against temptation. And third, it'll help us to anticipate when people are falling away, when people are making bad decisions that might affect us. So, so it gets us to pray to the Spirit for wisdom. It protects us against temptation. It puts us on guard against those that are around us if they're declining. And fourth, it gives us time to prepare. How am I going to react when the inevitable happens? Hagar was not dumb. She's not some lackey servant who has no mind of her own. She's an intelligent woman, as all women in Scripture are. She's an intelligent woman, and she's watching, and she's noticing her, her mistress, her, her, her lord, Sarai. She's watching what happens and the emotional and spiritual decline that's taking place, and she's anticipating what's going on. So when Sarai finally says to Hagar, hey, you're my slave. Go, go be with my husband and have a child with him. She is just justifiably resentful. How would you feel, ladies, if you were in this position? And then, as soon as she gets pregnant, in her jealousy, Sarai turns around and blames Hagar. Can you imagine such a thing? She does what she's supposed to do. She accomplishes it. She gets pregnant. And then look at back at verse 5. Sarai gets angry with Abram for doing what she had suggested. And she's angry with Hagar for getting pregnant. She even says to Abram, the Lord's going to judge you for what has happened. How many know that sin makes us irrational? Sin makes you irrational. Instead of taking responsibility for our unfaithfulness, what do we do? We tend to blame others for what we did. And we don't want to see that it's illogical. We don't want to see that that doesn't make sense. Because it's much easier to say, you caused me to disobey. Or worse, I did nothing wrong. The shame is on you. What that does is it closes off the Holy Spirit's conviction. And it conditions us. The more we do that, listen now, the more you blame somebody else for what you've done, the more you will avoid future responsibility. It'll become your habit. It'll become your mindset. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It must have been you. If you're not saying I'm sorry four or five times a day, you're probably not living right. Because we have to take responsibility for our lives. And this pattern, this, this nasty pattern of what was in Sarai's heart now, it shows up. Look at verse 6. She even encourages Abram. Abram says, you know what, do right by Hagar. You know, you put her in kind of an untenable situation, and, and now she's pregnant. This is what you asked, Sarai. Well, I, I'm angry. She shouldn't have gotten pregnant. Well, what did you think was going to happen? You gave up. I mean, imagine the conversations between Abram and Sarai. 
you gave up, Sarah. No, you're, you're wrong. The Lord's going to judge you, and he's going to judge between us, and now there's hostility between us, and I can't look at Hagar. She's pregnant, and I wanted the child. I mean, can you imagine the emotion? Bring some emotion into the text. He says, well, listen, treat her right. You're, you're, you're the one who put her in the situation. Treat her right. But notice what she does in verse 6. She treats her harshly, and Hagar runs away. This wasn't the only time. If you look at chapter 18, verse 12, chapter 21, verse 10, Hagar continues to be treated poorly by Sarai. But here's where I want to focus the rest of our study. In all of this, Hagar never blames the Lord. She's an Egyptian, but she never blames the Lord. Look at verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Whoa. Okay, we'll deal with that in a minute. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you're with child, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everybody, and everybody's hand will be against him. Well, isn't that nice? And he'll live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord. Listen to that. She's an Egyptian. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Second thought about Ishmael. She's experiencing injustice and loneliness. And while that's happening, the Lord comes and ministers to her. Let that be an encouragement to you this morning. If you're in the middle of injustice, you're lonely right now, something hasn't gone right, it hasn't been fair, you've been treated poorly, you're, you're struggling, you feel abandoned, you feel lonely. Listen, the Lord wants to come and minister to you. Think about the range of emotions. Bitterness, anger, hostility, resentment, fear, abandonment. I mean, there's no good, I don't think, I can't imagine, there's no good emotion going on right now. And she has nobody to fall back on. She has no rights to claim for herself. She's a slave and she's alone in the wilderness. But notice, oh, I think this is of the Lord here. Notice verse 7. Notice where she positions herself. She's by a spring. Springs and streams in the rivers in the Bible indicate life and refreshing. And even more specifically, they indicate the presence of the Lord. Where do you go when you are alone and hurting? Because that will tell you a lot about yourself and about your faith. Where do you go? Do you fall back into sin, thinking that there will be some joy and pleasure in, in, in self-satisfaction? Or, or do you run back to vices because they'll numb me and they'll comfort me, and, and at least then I won't have to think about it? 
Do you run back to a bad relationship, thinking that somehow this time it'll be different, but you know it won't, but, but, but maybe? Or do you just get alone and kind of, forgive the term, wallow in despair and hopelessness and just kind of, <sighs> we sang it earlier, nothing compares to running to the Lord. Nothing compares to being in his presence. And while it's unclear whether Hagar was actively seeking the Lord here, the Lord teaches us thousands of years later. Oh, the Lord teaches us in verse 7 that he is highlighting her location. He says she was by a spring. Don't go by that. Every detail is important. She was by a spring. She didn't go to a place of harshness and self-pity. She went to a place of refreshing. And while she was there, she was near what gives life. When you're in despair, you're lonely, you're hurting, there's been injustice. Don't run to things that don't give life. Run to the one who gives life all the time. Because from a human standpoint, what Hagar is doing is completely logical. And notice the detail in the text. It says it was the spring on the way to shore, end of verse 7. That tells us that she had gone about 150 miles in the wilderness. Think about that. She had gone 150 miles in the wilderness. She's in the desert between Canaan and Egypt. So what does that tell us? It tells us that she's going home. She's going back to find some friendly family relatives. Now, nothing but pride and stubbornness and desperation would cause a pregnant woman to go out into the wilderness by herself. And it's very easy to imagine that she might have died there if not for the Lord. Look at it. Verse 7, the Lord comes to her. The angel comes to her and he says, I want to help you. Now, on first glance, what he tells her seems a little harsh. He doesn't say, look, Hagar, I got this. All right, I'll come near you. You go back to Egypt. You have the child. We'll forget about this whole thing. <laughs> we'll just put that in the past, put it behind us, and, and, and you just go have your life. What does he say? He says, nope, you need to go back. Oh, it's going to get worse. Look at it. You need to go back, and you need to submit yourself to Sarai. What? She's done nothing but treat me poorly. Why would I go back? Now, to Hagar's credit, she doesn't say that. At least not in the text. But you got to know she's thinking it, right? Go back. And go submit yourself to Sarai's authority. What in the world is that about? Well, the answer, I believe, lies in another important spiritual principle. And this one's hard. Spiritual principle is this, that sometimes the Lord allows us and even calls us, get that word, sometimes the Lord allows us and even calls us to difficult, unfair situations. And he does that to test our willingness to yield to him. Sometimes the Lord allows us and calls us to difficult, unfair situations to test our willingness to yield to him. Now, in those times, we should not compound the problem by running away from him. Instead, we need to do what Psalm 37 says and rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him to show us his plan. 
And those times are our prime opportunities for us to have our faith go to a new level. God never wants your faith and my faith to be stagnant, right? He, he never wants it just to be, okay, I'm doing good, I'm getting by, Lord, I'm trusting in you, and, and I'm just going to hang here for a while. This is good. God says, nope, you're going to the next level, but I don't want to. Yes, but that's how you mature in me. So whether it's by something wonderful happening where we go, God is great and God is good and I'm going to trust him more because he's faithful or whether God gives us a trial and we go down to the valley and God says, this will be the test by which your faith explodes to a nibble. When, when I counsel people, I always say God is taking you to a new level of faith because that's what God's doing. Trying if your faith works patient so you might become complete, James says. In other words, your faith is good. Maybe it's good here, but that's not where I want you. I want you here. And when you get to there, guess where I want you? I want you there. And when you get to there, we're not done yet. I want you here. Until you trust me implicitly without any shred of a doubt. So whatever I say, whatever I lead, however I run your life, you will go praise the name of the Lord. I'm good. I'm not there yet, are you? I've been saved 43 years. Faith is is what God wants from us. And what's wonderful about these times of difficulty is they are the door to long-term blessing. If we will trust the Lord like he wants us to, he will open up avenues of promise and fulfillment of his help and his provision and his blessing, and he'll give us fresh strength and fresh confidence through his Holy Spirit to get to that point. So what the Lord say? He says to Hagar, look at verse 9. He says, go back. Had to be so hard to hear. But he says, go back. I don't want you staying here. But let me tell you, as you're going back, I want to give you a promise. See, God always shows us what's going to happen. Your descendants will be too numerous to count. This is the birth of the Arab race. Verse 12 details they're going to fight against everybody and they're going to live east of Israel. But notice, oh, this is so wonderful. A key detail in verse 11, the Lord says, the name of your son, I'm deciding it, the name of your son is going to be Ishmael, and Ishmael means God hears. God hears. What a beautiful proof this morning that God loves the Arab people doesn't hate them. He doesn't despise them. He loves them as much as he loves you and me sitting in this church. But he is restraining them, and he is disciplining them for fighting his people, Israel. And like any person who has ever lived, he is telling them, he's telling Israel, who is away from the Lord, and he's telling us the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. So if you reject him, you're out of luck. But this says, the father of the Arab race, God says, his name is God Hears. And I want you to know, Hagar, that even though you're in a lousy situation, even though you're 150 miles from what you know, you're out here in the wilderness by yourself, pregnant and scared and worried and whatever, I want you to know that I am with you and that I have heard your cry and I'm going to bless you. And Hagar says... You're the God who sees. You're the God who sees. And she calls the name of the place. Look at it. Verse 14. Bir Lahai Roy. It means the well of the living one who sees me. 
okay, Lord, this is unfair. It's unjust. I didn't ask for this. Life stinks. I'm alone. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. But in my moment of weakness, I came to the well and you were there. And you have seen me and you have heard me and you will bless me. Let me ask you one more question. What are the wells you remember and run to when you're in difficulty? What are the wells that you remember and run to when you're in difficulty? The places where you know you will meet the Lord in a unique way. Now, I know the Lord is everywhere, and he hears us when we call, and he is ready to answer and help. But I don't know about you. There are certain locations and even certain times of the day where I know I'm going to hear the Lord's voice in a unique way. Certain places I can go where, where I just, there's, there's a closeness to the Lord. Certain times a day where I just know that if I call on the Lord, he's right there. Those are, those are springs. Those are wells. And they become like altars to us. Places where we can meet the Lord and where he ministers to us. For some of you, I think, I, I've heard, that's Lake Michigan. Whether you're on a bluff just overlooking the water and being awed by the majesty of God's creation and how big he is because it's easy in your cubicle, right, or in your home to, to kind of feel like everything's small. Listen, if you're struggling with that, just go down and sit by the lake for a little while. Or walk on the beach and look at the grains of sand and hear what God said, Ishmael and, and Abram, your descendants are going to be like the sands of the sea. Every molecule Every, every H2O molecule that's out there, he knows every single one. He dictates the color. He dictates the sky. He dictates the storms that we had last night. They're all in his hand. Remember when they're on the boat, the disciples say, how can it be he controls the wind and the waves? So for some of you, it's the lake. For others of you, it's getting alone in a cabin in the north woods and just spending time with the Lord. For others of you, there's a, uh, maybe a place in your home that's kind of set aside. Whatever it is, you and I need to have springs and wells that are places of spiritual refreshing. Now, drop over one more page. I want to finish. Drop actually two more pages. Go over to chapter 21. Because there's one more time, and we'll conclude with this, where the Lord would meet Hagar at a well. Sarai finally gets pregnant. God changes her name to Sarah, changes Abram's name to Abraham. So at 99, Sarah gets pregnant. She has Isaac, the son of the covenant. Everything's wonderful now. God has proven again that he's faithful. And as soon as she has Isaac, guess what? She wants Hagar gone. Now, part of the reason for this is Ishmael is 15 at this point, and he's mocking baby Isaac. And Abraham tries so hard to appease this situation, but he knows in the long run that he's got to send Hagar and Ishmael away. So he gives them food, and he gives them water, and he sends them back out into the wilderness. Imagine Hagar's living through this a second time. But notice in verse 16 of chapter 21, she cries out to the Lord, and she asked the Lord, please don't let me see my son die. Ishmael goes down the path. He's kind of hanging out in despair. He's sitting on the rocks. And it says she's a bow shot away. So as far as you can shoot an arrow. And Hagar is off by herself. And she's crying out to the Lord. And she says, I just have one request. Please, please, <laughs> Lord, please just don't let me watch my son die. Take me first. 
I can't, I can't handle it. I can't believe I'm back here in the wilderness. Why? <sighs> Notice how the Lord answers her in verse 17. As she lifts up her voice and weeps, God heard the lad crying, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter with you, Hagar? Don't fear. God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift him up, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Oh, interesting, another well. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took away from him from the land of Egypt. Let me give you a more spiritual principle. This one's real simple. When we depend on the Lord, God reveals unexpected blessings. When we depend on the Lord, God reveals unexpected blessings. Back in chapter 16, verse 4, when Sarai hated her, back in chapter 19, 16, verses 7 and 8, when Hagar's alone in the wilderness, she could never have anticipated a future like this. Everything seems hopeless. Even as she goes back into the wilderness a second time, everything seems hopeless. And she could have been bitter. But she persevered, and she cried out to the Lord, and she listened to the word of the Lord, even when she couldn't rationalize it in her brain. And eventually, the Lord brought her to a new well and a new promise. Now, let me close with this. Some of you need new wells this morning. Some of you need new wells. Maybe it's because you're spiritually dry. And if so, it is time to turn from sin and turn from self-sufficiency and turn from doubt and ask the Lord to change you and refresh your heart because you're like I was when I woke up this morning and the heat had been on and my mouth was cotton. Some of you, I'm not saying it judgmentally, some of you are that dry this morning. And you need a new well. You need a new place of refreshing. You need to run to the Lord, even though it feels like you're in the wilderness. And it may be somebody else's doing, like, like Hagar, that you're out in the wilderness. But you need to run to the well and say, God, refresh me and help me. And for others of you, maybe it's because you're in crisis. Maybe you're just torn apart by something that's happened and something that's going on. But it's time to return to the Lord. It's not time to keep running. It's not time to get 150 miles away and say, well, God, where are you? No, God has wells everywhere. He has springs that are waiting. And even Hagar, she's about to die. She's completely despondent. She says, please don't let me see Ishmael die. She opens her eyes. And what has God had? God has a new spring, a new well. So if you need that this morning, you're running through the wilderness. You don't have direction. You're losing hope. You need to run to the place of God's help and God's blessing. Because you can either stay in the wilderness frustrated and lonely and angry and bitter. Or you can go experience the presence of the Lord and know how faithful and how good he is and how much he wants to bless you.